and welcome to the next episode of The Prestige, a podcast about films, filmmaking and film theory. Each week we'll focus on a particular movie chosen by one of us and let the theme develop out from review or discussion about that and see where it takes us. And as always, we'll end with some recommendations based on this week's choice, be they thematic, be they actors or whatever. But as always, we start by introducing ourselves. Right, my turn this week. My name's Sam Knowles. I'm a lecturer, speaker, teacher, writer, close reader, iguana wrestler. Uh, one of those isn't true. I'm looking forward at the end of this week to meeting up with the co-editors of a special issue of the uh, Journal of Postcolonial Writing on postcolonial graphic novels. That's what I'm taking at the moment. And my companion is Rob Maple. Hello! Who has spent ten years immersed in films. Um, the first three of these doing a film studies degree and then as part of the visual effects team of numerous films, big and small budgets. Um, and now, having retired at the age of 30, he's just chilling out, pretty much. Pretty much, yeah. No, no nice. he's got loads of other stuff to do. As I tell you every week, he is, he is doing lots of things to do with photography and editing and publishing. So, this week, the film that I chose last week was the 2003 film The Station Agent. Uh, notable for its lead, car- lead actor being Peter Dinklage, now of Game of Thrones fame. Um, but also great support from Peter Clarkson, Bobby Canaval, I'm not sure, Canal, Canaval? Canaval? Um, and uh, a, a early and young Michelle Williams. And also John Slattery from Mad Men in a very minor role. It tells the story of Finn Barm Bride, played by Peter Dinklage, who is a, a, a worker in a model railway shop whose boss dies and leaves him a train depot in New Jersey. Um, and it is a run-down, middle-of-the-nowhere train depot with a, an attached kind of sort of train carriages. He walks from New York, from Hoboken, up to New Jersey along the train lines where he meets some locals, uh, mainly in the... Um, form of Joe, who is like a, a local New York guy who's up there looking after his dad, and Olivia, who is a recently bereaved mother, uh, probably going through a divorce. They form an unlikely and tempestuous friendship, um, and it's kind of about the three of them forming that friendship, and Finn, or Finn Bimbar, the main character, coming to his own in, in this new world in which he initially wasn't part of and wasn't welcome. Sam, as as the newbie to this film, your thoughts on it? I loved it. Um, I, I have a soft spot for films in which essentially nothing happens, but it's just beautifully made. Um, and this was one of those. Um, I, I, I'm not a fan of Game of Thrones, and therefore haven't really seen Beastly but he is great in this. Um, and also, constantly, was something that I'll refer to throughout this, because because um, it, it served my way into this film, but there was an article on Beastly an interview with him in the paper this weekend, considering. So, um, yes, this, this was his... As I said, 2003, his breakout film. 
Um, and this interview was particularly interesting because he spent a lot of his 20s up till, well, pretty much up to this point, so a few years before this film, um, having principles about the film project he was involved in um, and refusing to do work as a, a comedy leprechaun, for instance, mm. um, which meant that he lived... Um, in, in a rat-infested flat for, for much of his 20s. Um, and then came um, association with the director, whose name escapes me. Of this film? Yes. Tom McCarthy. Right. He did, he did stage work with Tom McCarthy, and Tom McCarthy saw that he this, this was an acting talent, and he took him on for this film. And then that, this was his breakout role. Um yeah, I love this one. I love the way it was shot. Um, and one of the things we'll be looking at this week is the idea of isolation, something that's very important to the film. Um, so much so that um, in the blurb of the film, it was, uh, the film was described as Finbar's move to find solitude. Um, but I'm not sure he does. Um, it's never really sure... You're never really sure what he wants to find, and there are times when he wants definitely wants to be left alone, and he says as much, um, or he makes it abundantly clear, as in the, sort of the first few scenes in in the depot. Um, but I'm not sure that's what he was looking for, and I think it's much more a film about him looking for the acceptance in this community that you mentioned. Um, mm. Yeah, I I love the way this this film was shot and said. I I love the way that isolation is introduced from the start, not just in the location, not just in him, but in in everyone. Everyone is alone in this film in one way or another. And yes, whether it's Joe caring for his sick father or Lydia grieving over her son, everyone is is on their own in some way. Or another. Well, I think you've done the whole podcast, Sam. I didn't I didn't retire now. Okay. Good. <laughs> I, I, would, I would echo Sam's thoughts on the film. I obviously I picked it this week, um, and it's a film that I've probably seen at this point five, five or six times. Oh, right. if, anybody, if anyone knows my my, to do, my the amount of films I watch and the turnover of films I have, if any film gets sort of at least a second viewing, it's rare. Let alone the film. It mainly because it, it's an easygoing film, and it's sort of thing that in the past I can pop on while I'm doing other things. Um, mm. But I don't. I think that's. To, to consider it that kind of film alone is to do it a disservice. Uh, mm. I think it's I think it's a wonderful film. I think the plotting and the arcing of it as as a, as a intense viewing experience is far more rewarding than just background viewing. It certainly. I also do think that it's a beautifully shot film with great scenes in it. So that if you are dipping in and out, it still works. Mm. And I, for me, I think a lot of that, as you mentioned, rides on our three main characters. Joe, Olivia and Finn. Now obviously Peter Dinklage has gone on to some great success and great renown um, but I do think in this film he's matched by the uh, the other two. People who, certainly the character, especially in the case of Joe, who I really thought early on could be very stereotypical, very kind of... I could see him being annoying real fast when he first mm. appears. Um, but yeah. I think that Bobby, the actor, really infuses... Like a heart to him, and you'd see a little bit of almost the underneath 
of what's going really going on there. Um, and I think there's some, some and Patricia Clark's as great as Olivia. And I, think, I think almost everybody in this film, start to end, is is just great. I think that as Sam pointed out, I think it's shot beautifully. I think that the the themes that, that they're shooting for with this film are are echoed and mimicked in the way it's shot. You know, you've got the lots of level several shots of side arm of them walking in lines, and there's lots of almost posed up angles that are designed to work as visual images, rather mm. than being almost rather than the camera being the invisible eye that just circles the actual we see the action. You very much get the feeling that some of the shots in this film are purposefully chosen and presented to us as visual imagery, knowing mm. visual imagery. I mean, if you've seen the film, there, as I say, the key examples are several shots where they all walk along, walking the right of way, on, on they're all walking a line along um, railway tracks, and they're very clearly mm. contrived images. And yes, not only contrived, but it calls to mind something like the iconic bits of Stand by Me. Mm. That that idea of of walking walking in a line in a in in that sort of space is something that has been done before. And like you said, the director knows what he's doing, knows that yes. this is contrived. No, um, I was thinking about the the shots of Peter Dijon the. On the, it was on the on the roof of the train carriage, and it's like you mm. say, it's on, it's almost posed. There's a shot towards the end where he's just he's just standing there in the middle of nowhere. I think that we'll touch on this a bit later when we get into sort of the themes of this week. But I do think that it's it's a wonderful mix. I think that of these things, I think films like this that often get called in kind of like the mumblecore genre, where they're kind of about nothing, it's people talking and relaxing. I think that some of those can take that too far you end up having uninteresting films mm. you know ultimately film is a visual medium and we touched on this briefly with the Mad Max episode but at a certain point when it comes to a lot of films I try and ask the question why is this a film you know why is this a film rather than a radio play rather than a book rather than a still photograph what right. is making a film giving it and I think that's where this I really like this film is because whilst it is that easy going nothing really happens film Visually, it's still interesting. A lot of these mumblecore films can be visually a bit nothingness because it's about that experience. But I think this keeps it visually interesting. And I think the three main characters are visually interesting. All the background actors are visually interesting. You get, you know, the diversity in this film is great. I mean, yes, you are looking at him living in a very white sort of suburban area of town. But you do have, you have black characters, old characters, young characters. You have lovely um, dwarf dwarfism characters. You have divorced characters, young. There's a great sort of diversity in the cast, and it keeps the film visually interesting. All the background characters are interesting. I mean, even John Slattery from Mad Men, who turns up in basically one scene as a lady's ex-husband, he's a striking and a visually interesting person to look at. Mm. And I think that they they managed to pull that almost all the entire film is that everybody is nobody in this is probably you know movie star looking everyone is interesting to look at even you know, barmaid the barmaid in the, in the in the in the one pub in town has a you feel a backstory to her hmm. yeah i think this is it's not necessarily um comparable visually but it's something that we 
had with a few episodes recently, with certainly with Inside Out and with Ant Man as well, is this idea of not much happening, but it's an important story. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have Ant Man. The the central story is the drive to save his daughter, or Inside Out. The central story is a young girl trying to come to terms with a house move, essentially. Yes. And here you have said it's, it's not really very much of a central story, but no, it's it's important. These people's lives are important. Yeah, I think that's. I mean, we will touch on to some spoiler territory moving forwards here, but I do think that's like the ending of the film because they kind of through the film they go through this rollercoaster of being, being friends, of not being friends, of being friends, of not being friends. And I think by, by the way, if you if you haven't seen the film. Pause this podcast now and go and see it. Yes. Because it's really good. And also, it is a perfect length. So it's it's not going to take too much time now. That's your day. I mean, to go in general, it. I'm happy to issue the, the edict that we do tend to tell you in the podcast what we're watching next week. So, yes. Oh, we, yeah. Okay. You know, yeah. we, we will touch on speakers. And I do think that the film, the resolution of the film, even if it came back to the apartment, ends in a certain way that isn't the traditional climax of a film. Mm. But for the, the nature of the film is perfectly encapsulated the ending, where all through the film you've dealt with these characters and their own neurosis and their own isolations and their own problems. And you always end up with this scene, you end with this scene that just feels, for quite a number of the film, so natural that these three friends are together and it's just easy going and it hasn't got any of the problems that they've had during the film, at least at this point. Something else I noticed was how loving the conversations are between these characters Mm. and how genuine this friendship is. You have, for example, Joe's genuine interest in Finn's trains. And he says, what do you people do? And you think, "Uh uh-oh, we're going to veer off into Latino New York stereotype here and Mm. we're going to... Have have an awkward conversation about about dwarfism, but no, he's he's generally interested in what what train people do. Yeah, you have cards. And I think you got to, one thing that I do I do look at the film is that whilst Peter particularly talk about not doing films about dwarfism, this film does touch on him being a dwarf in many ways. Mm. It's strange that his arc isn't about him being a dwarf. No. He's asked about him being alone, and we'll go into more. But there are a few characters, mainly the kids in New York and the two rednecks in in Newfoundland, who who do make a thing of it. And yes. there's there's a, I think quite a powerful scene in which Finn gets very drunk and kind of confronts the local prejudice in, in a bar and other stuff. Um, mm. But the main characters and a lot of the characters never. There's never a thing about it, you know. But you don't feel it doesn't feel contrived in that. Well, they uh, they're blind to it. It just feels that they see that person mm. rather than rather than anything else. I think the the film set up to make you think of him that way as well. It, mm. it was something I was struck by the very very start when he goes to New Jersey. Well, not the very start. In the first five minutes, he goes to New Jersey, and all. All the buildings are big and drab, and not not no pun intended. But he is dwarfed by the 
the structures around them. And yet mm. you think, well, anyone would be because they're buildings. So yes. you don't you don't think of him like that at all. It's uh, just I, I, a, a man overwhelmed by his environment. Yeah, I think whilst obviously you have to take all this up in the song, both the Sam and I are white, able-bodied people, so we can't speak for, for experience. But I do think that the film is great in the opening scene, the opening shot of Finn part is him dressed in all in like black jeans, black, black trousers, white shirts, smoking on a rooftop, which is contrary to I suppose very much the images that dwarfism presents in media of A, them being bright, colourful, funny you know we d- rarely see them smoking you rarely see them kind of having a real life and I do think mm. the opening statement and Peter Dinklage's like, whole costume of the entire film is a stark refusal to play into that narrative yeah. but as, as, as we said at the start and obviously in the title of this the theme that really struck me when when watching this film again and in the past is that of isolation the three main characters i think whilst in very different ways are very isolated and i think uh, that the film handles all their sort of their stark places and their end places very well finn obviously due to the nature of his disability and his lifestyle choices like hard from being from dwarfism he's a train spotter which isn't renowned for being very socially accepted. Mm. Um, he's clearly isolated in New York um, and when he first moved to New Jersey. Bobby, or Joe, obviously out or out of his home. He's obviously from Manhattan. He's currently up in New Jersey. But there was a scene in which you were talking to the rednecks. You felt that he's clearly from this town and he's mm. clearly no longer part of it. That they all, the, the local good old boys that he grew up with um, are living a certain life. He isn't living that life. So even though he's at home where he grew up, you really feel like he's isolated from everything there. You know, he's he's there alone. He hasn't got a, a, many friends. He hasn't got a partner. He hasn't even got his childhood friends who he can mm. talk to. Um, and, and it would have been so easy in that scene for the thing that isolated him to be his treatment of Finn. So the, you get the rednecks abusing Finn and him sticking up for Finn. But that's not what isolates him because he hasn't been to play softball with them for weeks. Yes. So he's already distanced from them. And, and you do get the very much... I mean, even visually looking at the, the characters, you know, he's in T-shirts and, and shorts and a very New York, but they're very redneck. It, it, they, they are, at times, very kind of stereotypically redneck. Hmm. And I think that they do set him up as being apart from that. And regardless of their um, mockery of, of, of Finn, the whole conversation is so awkward. And like from the outside, you clearly see that Joe just doesn't want to talk to them. He, kind of, he, he knows that it's going to end badly. Mm. Um, and I think that that awareness of their problems is going to take you like that. I mean, it, with anything, once you can see the problems as part of the, part of the culture you're in, you're already outside it a little bit. And then you've got Olivia, who's who's the um, character, who's clearly, she's lost her son, she's going through a divorce, she's living in a big house by herself. Um, she seems to be, at least at the start of the film, the most together of them. She chats to the, the um, librarian, she she seems the most together at the end, but over the course of the film clearly becomes the least together. Mm. I think that yeah. they they set all three of those up to be isolated in their own ways and and handle them very well. There's something there's, there's a 
going, going back to this idea of loving relationships between there's a chemistry between these three characters that and that's what it's another thing that makes this film so good is that the lead actors are very good and also mm. they're very good with each other yes they play off each other really well um, and I never I never seen it in either of the others before actually um, well weirdly uh, <laughs> Joe is in Ant-Man really he is the stepdad. Oh, so he is. Okay, well, I have seen him before. I had to Google it. When I, I started watching it. And thought, you know, I feel I've seen him recently. I, I Googled it and he, he, he's in that. Uh, Patricia right, Clarkson. Right. It wasn't another face I know, but I'm, I'm trying to place where else I've seen her. Um, I'm trying to think where else she's been looking at recently. Uh, she was in The Maze Runner. No, I missed it. It's all right, um, but yeah, I think that I say in addition to what's happening talking about, about the sort of thing, I think it was shot very interestingly in relation to the isolation. I think you got mm. a couple of things that really kind of struck me with all three characters. You got Finn, who in problems clearly the entire film wears black and white. She, he, yeah. he never, he never wears any color apart from pure black and white. And it's being shot in this almost sumptuous landscape of, of trees and hills and rivers. And the, everywhere the camera points, there's greenery. And then you've got him in a monochrome palette stood out from that whole world. And as the I felt the bit of the last shot, where they're all kind of bathed in like the, the, the orange glow of the um, of the lights... He suddenly felt like he was part of the landscape he hadn't until that point. Yeah. And then I've got you know, I look at Joe and his his tiny little van. Like he he, he feels the, the the um the van that in which he oh the works. hot dog van yes hot dog yeah. van like he feels a a, a, a scale of magnitude too big for that van. Yeah. Like physically, he always felt out of place where he was working. He always felt like he was just a foot too tall to work there. Yeah. Um, and it is, it is, you know, it almost always shot in a, in a large sort of wide angle lens with big greenery and this little white man. And then almost mm. the opposite of that is that, like, Olivia, who's in this giant big house and seems to get over the film progressively smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, as, as this, the weight of this house and this life kind of seems to envelop her. In, owing to various boring technical difficulties I had to watch this in remarkably bad resolution so I didn't actually see the detail of any of the painting she was doing what what, what was the the the, the was, it, was there something about them that, that Joe reacted to in the first I, instance from what I can gather and the, most of the in fairness you weren't missing a lot there were a lot of them were very abstract sort of blocky art so it wasn't entirely right. extreme okay. uh, they Mostly seem to be portraits of of male right. faces, so I, d- I couldn't tell whether Joe was reacting. Joe and uh, Phil were reacting to them. Oh, that's his her son. Yeah. Or because having seen that there is a photograph they show of of the son, mm. um, and the portrait don't look like that person, but they were more abstract. And I, I, my assumption from the point of view of Finn was that he took it to be. These are her, always her son or her husband or her reactions to that, 
it did feel that his reaction was, that's a private thing, I'm not touching that. Joe, on the other hand, was much more kind of poked with that and see what happens. Um, and that was that was, that was some, something about Joe that you got well, throughout the film. I mean, when, when Clear points out the video camera and his first, Joe's first instinct is to pick it up and have a play with himself, play with yes. it himself. Um, and yeah, Peter Stinklage is Finn is far more well, whatever. And and mm-hmm. Joe is very hands on and very. I want to I want to touch this. I want to see what, see what it does. I think that, that there's something notable in the fact that was, it struck me last night. And I actually clocked the time that you'd never see Finn's smile until mm. they're train chasing. Yes. That's yeah. the first time that you see him smile. And I think part of that is because you see these two people, between Olivia who gets him a camera and Joe who drives him chasing, these people who are doing things for him when he always always asks him not to, but when he he wants to do it, but he'll never say, I want to do it. And these two people yes. are just like, no, you like that, we're doing this. And I do think that's a a testament to, to, to Peter Dinklage that he kind of uh, carried it. It didn't feel forced. It just felt notable. And this was a, a thing that finally they created that shell. Yeah. And there, there, there is a, kind of, a nice kind of symmetry or, or a cyclical nature to it. But it takes the two of them to bring him out of the shell. You just get a feeling that at the start of the film, he saves Joe a bit. Right. Yes. And then Joe saves him. And then they both save Olivia. Hmm. There's a weird kind of sort of triptych to that the story there. Hmm. There's something that I wanted to to bring up is there's there's a literary reference in it which I think is pertinent to this point but um you kind of think that the the voyages that he goes on when he's walking the so walking the right away yes and Joe goes with him you think oh he's in charge of that and Joe's just tagging along but Joe says where are we going Sasha Panza and for all you book nerds, um, Sancho Panza, Don Quixote's psychic in Don Quixote, Cervantes. Um, so you, you've had this this narrative in which um, Finn takes the lead on their walks, but you've got a character saying, well, as, quite apart from the fact it's something that the rednecks of the town would never say. They'd never mm-hmm. make a reference to 17th century Spanish literature. But also you've got Joe at this point saying, well, you're the psychic now, and and somehow I'm in charge. So there's there's a nice balance to it all the way through. Mm. I, I, you can see that in Joe. Joe's often very much more pushing for it, and there's the, the lovely shots when they meet up at a park bench, and sort of Joe starts off really kind of not really care not caring about the, the the trains, but kind of intimidated by it all. And then just mm. cuts to him leaping excitedly at a train that goes past while Finn just sits there. Yeah, and I, you mentioned this earlier, but I do think one of the one the things I like most about this film is that the genuine enthusiasm that both everyone has for everyone else's stuff. That mm. at no point do the, do the three of these go trains. It's a bit nerdy, isn't it? Joe is genuinely interested in the trains. And when when Joe Joe makes food for them and leaves, Olivia says says to Finn, "Well, this is really nice," and it's she's not being polite because Joe's not there anymore. Yes. So it, it, there's a genuine appreciation for something that someone else has got and something that I, someone else has done for you I, I think that there's I think that's, as we said it really does nail that, that friendship but it also mm. balances that it nails the oscillations 
So as always, we end our podcast with some recommendations based on a theme or, or our inspirations for this week. Now, obviously, Signature is a bit of a singular film, but Sam, do you have anything to throw in the in the mix? Yes. Um, I don't, have you got any Peter Dinklage films? I haven't. Right. Well, I will just mention that. Well, I'll briefly mention this because I haven't seen it myself, so it doesn't really count as a recommendation. Um, but he made an early film called Living in Oblivion, which was in 1995. It was in the middle of this this period of poverty that I mentioned in his 20s. Um, and it was an angry young man piece. And he um, there's a, one point where he rails, he, he's talking to Steve Buscemi, and he rails against how people treat him as a dwarf. Um, and there's a memorable line where someone mentions a dwarf in their dream. And Peter Dickens takes umbrage of that and says, well, why did you put, if you just put a dwarf in your, your dream to make sure it was a dream? Like, no one dreams about dwarves. Even I don't dream about dwarves. So there's mm-hmm. something that, that, that's been said from him throughout his career, is, is that. I, I've you, just Googled that film, and I have seen it. Oh, well, tell, tell us more. Oh, I, I saw it many years ago, and I remember there's one great scene in which Steve Buscemi is a film director, and he's trying to get an amazing performance out of an actress, and she just can't do it. And so they can't take five minutes, and then she, like, when the camera's on off, give this heartfelt emotional performance, but just can't do it in front of a camera. Hmm. It's good. I mean, I, I, I probably saw it, I don't know, 15 years ago. Um, but yeah, no, I, I look back now, that was a good film. Okay, right. Well, I'll count that as a recommendation uh, viral. Um, my uh, genuine recommendation for myself has nothing really to do with, certainly has nothing to do with the Peter Dinklage. Um, it's just has something to do with the way, the, the beautiful way this film is shot. Um, it reminded me of a film from a couple of years ago called The Way Way Back, which <laughs> is also not really about anything. But it's beautifully shot, and it's set in a particular green, leafy part of part of America, in a way in a way that this is. Um, it focuses on well, it, it, the narrative has has nothing in common with Station Asian, but it focuses on uh, a teenage boy and and a theme park. Um, but I, I would say that this this reminded me very much of the way that that was filmed way that was shot and I enjoyed that film I enjoyed that film as a visual experience in the way that you were talking about about this film where right? start the way this film looks good and it's aesthetically pleasing mm. well funnily enough my first recommendation was going to be The Way Way Back which is, which is, which is, which is why I laughed at the start of your there um, right. on the basis that I felt I felt it felt dealt with the same ideas of loneliness and the main character feeling lonely or isolated from the start, especially from his family and all that stuff. But no, I, I, I saw that probably this summer and really liked it. And that was mm. my first recommendation. So I shall pull a second one out of my out of the air okay. now. But the, first, the other recommendation I was going to give is a film from 2000, no, 1999 called Ghost Dog Way of the Samurai. Right. Ghost Dog Way of the Samurai stars uh, Forrest Whitaker, as a mafia hitman who follows the samurai Bushido coat. He is, due to various reasons, targeted by the, the uh, mob who he's worked for many years for for death, basically. And it's about him 
defending himself against incoming mobmen. But it does deal with the same... He lives by himself on the rooftop with his pigeons. But it does deal with that same idea of an isolated man forced to interact with the world and what he gets from interactions. It's a very different sort of film. It's a, obviously a samurai violent film. Um, but it's set in New York. But it still has things like Forrest Whitaker in the lead. still has that powerhouse of acting. And the unusual casting for a lead against type, shall we say. So, okay. And I think it is in the same vein as um, The Station Agent, as beautifully shot, um, aside from its content. So, given that Sam's taken the way back from me, the other condition I'm going to recommend is a film from two years ago called The Kings of Summer. Right. The Kings of Summer okay. is about three teenage friends who decide to spend their entire summer in the woods building a house and living off the land. Um, and it's about their adventures as kind of living in the woods. Um, they kind of, them dealing with it and their childhood relations and quite an ending, shall we say, to it. Um, but it has that same kind of feeling of a small person is a huge world and it is as visually interesting and visually smart as some of the agents all the way back. Okay. Well, next week, next week it is my choice. It is. Um, and I'm moving away from beautifully shot art house films um, or independent films to um, look at a, a big smash crash uh, fancy film from a few years ago. Is um, just Joseph Gordon Lewitt and what's the other one? Bruce Willis? Bruce Willis? Yes, in Looper. Uh-huh. So we'll have a look at Lupin next week. Lovely guys. If you want to check us out online, you can find the both of us and our podcast on Twitter at Prestige Podcast. You can find me at Life underscore Academic. And you can find just me under Rob Kaiju on Twitter. If you like our podcast, guys, please give us a recommendation or a review on iTunes. Give us a like and a follow on SoundCloud. Or wherever you listen to us, please kind of give us a thumbs up or whatever it takes. It really helps us get in front of more people and to help grow our, our fan base for the show. So cheers. And look forward to talking about Luca next week. See you then. Bye. is a Kaiju Industries production. Check out their other work at facebook.com forward slash Kaiju Industries. Rawr! Arg.